Good morning, church. It is so good to be here. I have heard from my parents and from many of you how well things are going here, but it's nothing like being here with all of you, and it's a particular privilege to be able to speak to all of you. So thanks for having me here. We just heard 1 Peter 1 read for us, and now as we prepare just to consider the first five verses of this chapter together, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we come before your throne of grace again this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our great High Priest, knowing that it's in His name that we can ask boldly for grace and mercy to help in time of need. Ask that you would multiply grace and mercy as this text says. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would come and impart glorious truths to our hearts. Help us to see you. Help us to see your grace and your mercy in new ways. And Lord, in ways that bring hope to our souls. No matter what our circumstances here today, Lord, give hope to each and every one of us in this room. We pray this in the name of Christ alone. Amen. Amen. First Peter is a powerful, powerful epistle of the New Testament. And one of the main purposes of this letter, and these few verses in particular, is to give hope to the people of God. So friends, listen, no matter where you are this morning, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you have been walking through in recent days, whether big or small, God wants you to leave this building later today with more hope in Him for your life and for your circumstances. That's pretty much the the primary purpose of the entire letter of 1 Peter. He wants to give you hope today. Biblical hope is, is the strength and the courage for the Christian life that comes from considering the rock-solid truth of God's Word about who He is and what He's done for us. Biblical hope is it's not just empty wishing for something good to happen, crossing our fingers and saying, oh, I hope it turns out okay, I hope everything's going to be alright. No, biblical hope is strong and it is sure. It is guaranteed to us. Why? Because it comes from truths and ideas that are certain. Amen? Comforting ideas about our future, about what is to come, about what is going to happen. Truths that are not just suggested, but are guaranteed to us by the living God. That's our hope. People who have real hope in this world are are not, as you know, those who are just able to stir themselves up to think more positively about life. It's not those who are able just to kind of put a positive slant on everything that they experience or who look at the glass of life as half full. Now, people who have real hope are those who remember the truths of God and the gospel most clearly and allow themselves to rest in those truths most fully. And so church, I don't know what kind of week you have had. I imagine that for many of you it has been severe and difficult. Perhaps you've doubted the goodness of God in your circumstances today. Perhaps you have wrestled for faith. Perhaps you just asked the question repeatedly this week, why? Why this? Why now? Why me? 
Peter wants grace and peace to be multiplied in your life this morning. And he wants it to happen by giving you a renewed hope in the goodness of God. He wants to do that for us by by giving us two reminders this morning. Two, Two important reminders. Peter tells us that as the people of God, we can have hope because... First of all, we are known and loved by God. And, and second of all, because we've been made alive by God. Those are the, the two points for this short text. We are known and loved by God, and we've been made alive by God. Let's consider them uh, together. First, we, have, we can have hope because we are known and loved by God. This is verses 1 and 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. What I love about this text is that the words that Peter writes here are for all kinds of different people in all kinds of different places and in all kinds of different circumstances and situations. He's writing to those who are elect exiles in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and he's seeking at the same time to give all of them hope in in the Lord. It's in verse 6 that he speaks of how they have endured various trials. So Peter is, is talking to a wide range of people with a wide range of difficult circumstances, but he wants to give them all hope at the same time. I don't know about you, but that fact alone encourages me. It can actually increase my hope this morning just to consider how many people Peter is writing to here. He's writing to countless people in countless circumstances, yet the truth that he wants to deliver to all of them is the same. That's good because it reminds us That the hope of God meets us wherever we are. No matter what we're going through. It can come specifically to you right now in in whatever situation you find yourself in. I think Peter knew this. I think Peter knows that you and I can can easily think about the truths of God, the glories of the gospel, but, but be tempted to excuse ourselves from the hope of them. So we can look at our circumstances and we can say, well, these things are particularly difficult and I'm not sure God's grace reaches here. So I love the gospel. I love the hope of the gospel. And it seems to be great for those people out there. It seems to apply to their trial and their circumstance, but I'm not sure it reaches here. So Peter, it's great. The gospel is reaching those in Bithynia and Cappadocia, Asia and all over the place. But is it reaching me? Is it coming to me in my circumstances? Is God aware of my trials? Is God aware of my difficulties? What about me over here in Upper Darby? What about me over here in in Drexel Hill? What about me in Westchester or Glen Mills? Is God aware of me? Does God see me waking up this morning and just not wanting to get out of bed? Is God aware of me as I struggle with depression? Is God aware of me as I, as I wrestle with anger towards those around me and my relationships are broken all over the place? Is God aware of me? Peter says, yes. He's speaking to these people in all these different places. Peter knows that we can be tempted in this way. And so he applies the truth of God and the truth of his gospel to all these people at one time. And the effect of it is powerful. So there is hope to be found even in just considering who Peter is speaking to. 
It's all of us. But there's even more hope in considering why Peter says that we can have this hope. He tells us that we can have hope because we are known and loved by God in three ways. We're known by and loved by God in the past. We are known and loved by God in the present. And we will be known and loved by God on into the future. Verse 2 shows us how we have been known and loved by God in the past when it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Church, you and your circumstances have been seen and known from before the beginning of time. They are a part of God's eternal plan and His good purposes for you and for His kingdom and for His glory. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. God the Father has has known us by name before the beginning of time. We also see this this foreknowledge of God in verse 1 where it says that He's writing to not just exiles, but to elect exiles. That word elect can carry with it just the, the meaning of being specifically chosen by God. So yes, they're exiles. Yes, they're They're wandering. They're not in their homes physically or spiritually. Yes, they are going through extraordinary trials, but they're not away from the knowledge of God. They are elect exiles. They are chosen. They are part of His plan and part of His purposes. You are a part of His plan and a part of His purposes. Wayne Grudem says that this text in 1 Peter, and this point in particular about the foreknowledge of God is just laden with comfort for the people of God. Just laden with comfort for us. Last year, uh, my family and I had the privilege of going down to Disney World. Ashley's dad uh, enabled us to go down there to enjoy a vacation, and it was a great vacation. I wasn't sold on the Disney thing before, but I am now. I kind of want to be there right now, actually, as it's cold outside again this morning. Uh, Disney's amazing. It was a great vacation. One, one of the highlights of the whole experience, though, is what they call these magic bands. Do you guys know what the magic bands are? You can buy them ahead of time, and each, each person in your family gets them, and they're basically like an all-access pass. So they give you sp- special privileges wherever you go if you, if you schedule them ahead of time. And so we walk around, we get these things, and at times they get us to the front of the line. At times they get us food. It's amazing. It's an extraordinary experience. Uh, but there were moments when, when we'd be standing in a, in a chaotic crowd of people, mayhem all around. Everything is, is going crazy. And it, I'd be tempted just to be wholly exhausted by it and just to want to escape from it. But I knew that in a moment they were going to call my name. And I was going to get to escape from all of this. And it was amazing what comfort that brought to my, to my soul. So I'd be sitting there. We've got a stroller. We've got four kids. Sodas being spilled. There's babies crying. There's families screaming all over the place. Getting up. But I knew they're going to call my name. They're going to call my name. There's something about being known in a particular way that can comfort us even in the midst of our circumstances. Knowing that our name is going to be called and we're only here for a little while. And then Christ is going to take us away. It's so important for the people of God. But listen, Peter doesn't even stop here. We've been known by God in the past. He knows us by name and we're known by God in the present as well. He says, in the sanctification of the Spirit, we are presently known by God. His Spirit 
is active among us and is eager to help us. I love the Gospel of John, chapter 14, when Jesus talks to Peter and to the rest of his disciples. And, and he says what seems like a just cavalier comment. Let not your hearts be troubled. What? Jesus, first of all, you're about to leave us. You're saying that you're going to die. And you tell the world is not as it should be. And you're just saying, let not your hearts be troubled. What, what grounds do we have for that? Peter knows in that moment that, yes, he's going to die, but he's going to be raised again. Amen? And then he's going to ascend on high. And when he ascends, he knew that he was going to send his Holy Spirit back to his people to dwell with them, to be with them, to be their strength. So when Peter says here, in the sanctification of the Spirit, he is speaking of the miracle of the indwelling of the Spirit of God, the present help that we have by the power of God's Spirit. Listen, Christian, if you... Love the Lord and have given your life to Him. His Spirit dwells with you right now. Every day, walking through life, walking through your circumstances, Christ's Spirit is with you. Daily, He is your encouragement. Daily, He is your strength. Daily, you can turn to Him in every circumstance and situation. You can turn to Him in every moment. There's there's nothing that the Spirit of God doesn't want to come to you and help you through. He, He is with you all the way. Oh, what power covenant fellowship and risen hope might experience if the people of God just lived in greater ways to live in dependence upon the Spirit of God to know His presence, to enjoy His comfort, and to be guided by His wisdom. Oh, what could happen to us? What great things the Lord could do, and what hope there is here. But listen, Peter doesn't even stop there. Peter ends these two verses of introduction by by telling us, not only have we been known in the past, not only have we been known in the present, but we will be known by God on into the future as well. Which is so good, because if I'm sitting here listening to this, I'm saying, okay, I love that he's foreknown me. I love that he knows me currently. But how do I know that he's going to love me on into the future? How do I know? Aren't you tempted to ask that question? How do I know that tomorrow things aren't going to change? I look at my own wrestling with sin, and I see my pride and my selfishness and my, my lack of self-control and my impurity, and I'm tempted to say, Lord, Lord, how do I know that I'm not going to fall away from you? How do I know that you're not going to turn your back on me? My sin is so great. How do I know that, that your presence, your love, our relationship's not going to fall apart in the days to come? But look at the final part of verse 2. Peter says that he is writing for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. In those those few words, Peter is saying something really, really significant. He wants us to know that God's love and commitment to us is not just in the past or in the present, but on into the future as well. See, listen, in the Old Testament, there were numerous purposes to the practice of, of sprinkling with blood. It seems like an archaic practice, but, but there were purposes behind it. And Peter seems to have at least two of them in view here in First Peter. First of all, in Exodus chapter 24, the people were sprinkled with blood during the initiation of the covenant between God and the nation of Israel. God covenanting himself, saying, you are my chosen people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are mine, I am yours. And there's a sprinkling of blood as a sign. Peter seems here to be referencing 
the established, not, not the reestablishment of the old, but the new establishment of the new covenant through the life and death of Jesus. His shed blood. God has covenanted Himself to you and to me. He has said, through my Son's sacrifice on the cross, in an even greater way than in Exodus 24, I am covenanted to you. And I will not turn my back on you. And we are together for all eternity. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're sprinkled with the blood of Christ. It's extraordinary. The idea of covenant in the Old Old Testament throughout God's Word is such a comfort to our souls. It gives such hope to you and to me who are so weak. Even more than that, though, there are passages like Leviticus chapter 14 where we also see that this practice of sprinkling of blood was done not just to initiate covenant, but to make one pure again throughout a covenant. So it was often done for those tainted by sin and those tainted by disease. So, so Peter is, is both recalling the initiation of the new covenant and God's commitment to us through his son, but he is also referencing the ongoing work of purification that is possible through the gospel. The ongoing work of, of sinners being reconciled to their Savior day after day after day. Are we going to continue to sin? Yep, a lot, sadly, yes. Is God going to turn his back on us? No, not ever, not ever. We can continue to return to him and and be washed by his blood again and again and again. John Piper says we're going to spend eternity singing bloody songs because the lamb was slain. One of those songs, I imagine, could be Charles Wesley's hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. It says, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for every race. His blood atoned for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Don't let that ransom sinner die. That is what Peter is speaking of in these verses. We are known and loved by God from all eternity past, by the power of His Spirit in the presence and on into the future because of the power of the shed blood of Christ. His blood gives us life. It expiates the stain of sin from our souls so that we are secure in Him for all eternity. Peter wants to give us hope, and he centers that hope first and foremost on the fact that we are known and loved by the triune God. The second way that Peter gives us hope is that he reminds us that we can have hope because we have been made alive by God. See that in verses 3 through 5. Often in the midst of life, we can easily forget, we can easily forget where we have come from and what has happened for us and to us. 
oftentimes, I would say for myself, too much of the time when, when life piles up upon itself, I can become so preoccupied with it all, with the details of life, that I forget who I am in Christ and the miracle that has happened to me. A, a mean or a confusing text from a, a friend can seem far more weighty than the hope that we have in, in Christ. Right? A pile of, of bills on the counter can, can seem more significant than the truth of being made alive through the gospel. Physical sickness and, and ailments can become our identity more than the fact that we are children of the living God. This world can cause us to forget the spiritual realities of our souls. And so Peter wants to remind us, he doesn't want us to forget He doesn't want our our vision to be clouded by our circumstances in a way that keeps us from seeing what is the greatest reality of our lives. And so in verse 3, he says, he exalts, he, he celebrates, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Peter? Why? Why should we bless him? Because according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says, don't forget the miracle of regeneration. Don't forget what has happened to you. If you're a Christian here today, you were once dead in your trespasses and sin without hope. But Christ has come and made you alive. And we are called by God to enjoy that reality Every day of our lives. And we need each other to to remind each other of of the fact that we're alive. And that we have hope. So my family uh, has been asking for a dog for a really, really long time. They want a pet. And I have, so far in my gift of leadership, kept those pets to all animals that are smaller than my hand. Which is kind of how I want to keep it for now. Uh, so a couple years ago, we really went crazy, and we, we got a gold, goldfish, okay? Kids were thrilled by it. This goldfish became the best friend of everyone in the family. Everybody had a different name for it. It was great. After a couple of days, nobody paid much attention to it. But anyways, we, we had a goldfish. We took good care of it, but then it died. And it was, it was a sad moment for us, and there were many emotions in the family. People were really worked up. I promise I was really worked up. The moment came for us to, to dispose of, of the goldfish, and, and they were so worked up that they couldn't participate in it at all. And so, so I walk into the bathroom, and I close the door, and they're all outside wailing and gnashing of teeth and the whole bit. And I walk in, and I have the bowl, and I'm pouring it into the toilet, and just as it's about to go over the lip of the bowl into the toilet, it springs to life. It was sleeping or something. It's just, it comes, I almost dropped the bowl. It freaked me out so much. And so I walk out of the bathroom. I'm a miracle worker. And from that point on, its name was Lazarus. So it worked out pretty good. But let me tell you something. These kids, when they saw that fish was alive again, they were ecstatic. They could not believe what had happened. They were screaming and celebrating and running all over the... It's alive! It's alive! It's it's come back to life! It's humorous, but friends, listen. That's how we're supposed to live our Christian lives. We're alive! We're alive! We've been made alive! We were dead, but here we are. And not only have we been made alive here on this earth, but we have life everlasting forever and ever and ever. I love the words that he uses here. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 
Those words mean specifically that we will be unable to see corruption. Even after death, we will have life and it will be a glorious life. And it will not be stolen from us ever again. We will be those who live on and on and on with joy and with strength for all eternity. Living in the presence of our great Savior. Enjoying His goodness and His grace every day for the rest of time. Oh, friends, the point is. The point is, is that that we have life in Jesus. And if we have life in Jesus, what is there to be concerned about? If He's come to you who were, you were dead, and He's made you alive, you were, you, you were lost, but you've been found. You were blind, but you've given sight. You were hellbound in your sin, and He has brought you to Himself and made you His own. If that's happened, what else in life is there to worry about? You know what, I... I am confident that Peter speaks to us here about the power of our life and he blesses God for it so much because he himself is, is wholly preoccupied with it. I'm in the middle of an extended season of studying First and Second Peter and I've actually committed the whole year to it and so I've read through these letters numerous times this year already and, and there are many powerful points and, and, and applications for the Christian life but nothing has affected me more than the first word of this letter. The first word of chapter 1. What is it? It's Peter. Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you folks know who Peter was? He was a blubbering idiot, right? He was. He was. As we read the gospel narratives, we feel ashamed for him. He he said and and did things that that should never have been said and done. He's the man that was called Satan by Jesus himself. He's he's the man who who denied even knowing Jesus. Not not once. not, Not twice. Three times. And that just hours after Jesus said that he was going to do it. That's who Peter is. And we, in our performance-driven mind, think that, okay, well, this man needs to be disqualified now, right? Look at how far he's fallen. Let's just move Peter to the back of the crowd, okay? He doesn't need to leave the room, but let's move him towards the back. But here he is. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's, he's writing letters of hope to the people of God. What's happened? How do we get here? The gospel. Christ has happened. The love of God has happened. It's taken a man ashamed and beaten down in his sin and in his failures and said, no, that's not going to be your identity forever. I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you my spirit. And I'm going to build my church upon you. Listen. If you're a Christian here today, but you've been beaten down by your sin. Maybe you're one who who lives in fear about the future. Maybe... Fear of man is a reality in your life. Maybe you've denied even knowing Jesus like Peter has. Maybe you're just proud. Maybe maybe you're tempted towards anger. Maybe you lack all self-control. 
Whatever it is, we, we all have our list. Whatever it is, here's what I want you to do. Think about all of that. And now think about Peter as well. And think about his pride. Think about his selfishness. Think about his fear of man. And then, and then think about what Jesus could have done to Peter. Think about how Jesus could have responded to him. The, the judgment and the condemnation that he, he could have appropriately heaped upon this man. Jesus could have justly turned his back on Jesus, walked away, and never spoken to him again. Couldn't he have? He's Christ. He could have done that. That would have been an appropriate response to Peter's sin. But that's not what he did. Rather, he transformed him. He made him alive. He forgave him. He gave him his spirit. He gifted and equipped him to live for him and to serve him. Think about all of that and then apply it to you. It's true. It's true. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, I'm a sinner. But we've been made alive. We have life in him. If you're not a Christian here today, and maybe you've sat here for a couple weeks and you're you're saying to yourself, this sounds really good, but I have sinned too much. I have sinned beyond the reach of God's love and His mercy. I'm too far gone. You need to look at Peter too. And you know what? You need to look at me and you need to look at everybody else in this room because none of us are worse sinners than Peter. None of us are are worse. You're not a worse sinner than us. And Christ has come and done a great work in our lives and He can in your life as well. Peter tells us all that we can have strength and hope because we are known by God and because we've been made alive by God. Now, what do we do with all of it? Where do we go from here? What, what purpose is hope supposed to have? Well, further down in the chapter, and Rob read it so well earlier, at the conclusion of his main point, Peter says in verse 13, Therefore, be, because of all of this, because of the hope you have, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. His point is, is that because of how we are known and loved by God, because of how we've been made alive by Him, we are, we, are, we are set free to hope in Him and to live for Him with all that we have. We can gain strength and courage and have endurance and have purpose for our lives. It says, preparing your minds for action. That is a call to let these truths of the Gospel transform who you are. So you might be the one who struggles with fear. You might be the one who struggles with self-control. You might live impure lives. You might be overwhelmed by your circumstances. But Peter says that by taking your mind and setting it on these truths, you can grow and you can be called to action and Christ can use you for His glory. 2 Peter 1 says, 2 Peter 1 says that in these truths, the truths of the gospel, we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. That, that means that, that you can have more ambition for the glory of God than you have ever had before. 
You get more ambition to live a holy life, more ambition to build this, this young church up for his namesake. You can have more ambition to, to be, a, be a light in the dark areas of your workplace and in this area. You can have more ambition to live courageously for the glory of God. He's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. You can have courage to face your fears. You can have humility to confess your sins. You can have joy despite your trials. You can have peace despite your sickness. You can have purpose and direction and great ambition despite the lazy and selfish world that you live in. We don't need to waste our lives because we have hope. We get to live every day of our lives for the King and for His glory. I said earlier how powerful it would be if a a young church like this or Covenant Fellowship learned how in greater and greater ways to, to live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying the same thing is how powerful would it be if Risen Hope and Covenant Fellowship learned what it is to put their hope in Christ day after day after day. Great would be the effect and great would be the glory that is given to the risen Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in all that we have been given. Lord, that we're known by you, the living God, and that we have been made alive by you. It's an extraordinary thing, and we give you praise. We give you thanks for it this morning. Even as we experience the joy of these baptisms this afternoon, I pray that our own hearts would celebrate the fact that we have died, our old selves have died, and we have been raised with Christ and will live with Him for all eternity. Thank You for hope. Hope that is greater than anything this world could possibly offer to us. Thank You for Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank You.